Welcome to another episode of Heated Conversation. Super excited for this episode. We have the co-founder of FlipFest in Crossville, Tennessee. Um, FlipFest is a gymnastics camp if you've never heard of it. Um, it's a huge camp that is run by two former Olympians, John and John, John McCready and John Roethlisberger. We have John McCready with us today, kind of talking about his time as a, an athlete, what he's doing with FlipFest, as well as college sports and kind of his viewpoint on both women's and men's college gymnastics. Super excited for this episode. Remember to subscribe, leave comments, share. Um, want to get this out to as many people. Tune into this episode. Hey, John, how are you? Good, man. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing very, very good. Thanks for having me on. Yes, absolutely. What is the weather like in Tennessee right now? It's raining, man. It's cold and it's raining. This is like a, this is a hunker down and movie day. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you guys typically do when it's this type of weather in, in, in Tennessee? <clears throat> so um, you talking about like John and I or Tennesseans or camp, like, yeah, like, we could we could do all, but we can start with just Tennesseans. You know, I'm here in Texas now. I'm originally from Minnesota, so I can yeah. kind of understand, you know, some of that weather. Um, but yeah. being in Texas, we don't always we kind of get the rain. Um, yeah. But sometimes it feels like it's drought. Yeah, we get a lot of rain here. That's why it's so green and so beautiful. Um, and, it, you know, it's kind of that's the I think Knoxville is one of the greatest places to live in, in the country. Um, the only downside is one, well, two things. One, we're in a valley. So the, <clears throat> the allergies are really bad. So even people that don't have allergies like myself, who never had in my life have allergies here. And my wife has awful allergies. It's, it's the, she's in misery, um, in those certain times of year. And then the second thing is, is, uh, just, it's, it's dreary in the, in the winter time. Cause it's, you get a lot of gray days for about a month or two. Mm. So those are the two little drawbacks. But other than that, the weather's amazing. And, uh, it, if you don't have allergies, then don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. And what are some inside like indoor things that people like to do when there's weather days like that? Or do people just kind of stay in their house? Um, no, people get out still. I mean, there, there's, there's no weather. It, well, you know, if it gets real cold and snowy, everybody kind of stays in, but other than that, everybody just keeps rolling around, you know, especially Christmas shopping right now. So that, it, it takes a lot to stop that. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, but as far as like kids stuff, fun things, you know, you got the trampoline parks and, and, uh, the arcades and stuff like that. So, um, those are, those are big big things when it's the weather's real bad no i love it and what do you guys do with camp both you and john and john and the rest of the staff yeah well right now camps pretty much set down for the season we we just shut it down after our last fall adventure camp now we sometimes have groups come in and you know december or january or february just not very many might be one so we're open year-round but this time is extremely slow so it's just a time for us to catch our breath and start planning the next year uh, we're, we're, we've already broke ground on, on an addition to the dining hall, uh, to make it bigger, um, to kind of take our, our food service to the next level. So that's exciting. So we're constantly talking about that and, and planning that. And then, you know, John and I have our hands on a lot of other things too. We own a lot of real estate, um, in Knoxville 
And uh, so we're constantly managing that. And then John has his commentating that, that he's doing all the time. So, and then we got kids, which keeps us probably the busiest. So yeah, it, it flies by. Now, when you talk about your season um, with the camp, what is what is the the time frames and seasons kind of go? You know, you talked about this fall adventure camp. Um, when does camps happen? Like the summer camps happen, and then when is the fall adventure camps? And then typically, when does things kind of start rolling back up um, for you know the next the next year? Yeah, typically in March things start rolling rolling back up. And then May is really busy getting ready for Flip Fest. And, and we have groups that come in March, April, May. Um, but things really start rolling the first week of Cheer Fest and Flip Fest. And that runs 10 weeks. And then from that point on, we have we have groups in every weekend. Um, anywhere from uh, you got uh, Power Monkey, which is um, Dave Durante's uh, CrossFit camp that he does twice a year there that's huge people have called, come from all over the world uh you have the nigc that comes in and does their camp we have church camps um i run a big um guitar uh retreat um we bring in the best guitarists in the world called woodshed guitar experience um so that that runs from thursday through sunday usually at the end of august beginning of september and uh we got the stage and the lights and fly rig the whole thing it's it's pretty awesome um so it 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 can really lend itself to anything um it's just really what we always we always kind of consider it a a blank palette and you just tell us what colors you want and we'll help you make it happen so yeah. and uh so then yeah so then that that kind of carries us all the way into the fall adventure camps and then pretty much all of november a little bit of october is fall adventure camps and then we pretty much shut it, you know, shut it down, take some time off until things get geared up for the next season. Oh, I love it. And yeah. when did the vision and how did the vision of Flip Fest um, or even just the, the the grounds and, you know, mm-hmm. having the facility and stuff come come about and where did it start? Yeah. So I, um, you know, John and I were on the 1996 Olympic t- team together. We became best friends before that. And we always talked about, you know, kind of living near each other, raising kids and business and all this stuff. And a couple of times a camp came up, like it'd be cool to own your own camp, like during the Olympics and stuff, but it was never something that we were going to be like, we're going to do this. It was just more of talk. Yeah. And then we all travel and do summer camps. Um, and people still do it today, but back in the day, you know, I did 10, 11 weeks of straight summer camps traveling. And my first one was a small boys camp. Uh, 50 boys in Knoxville, Tennessee at Knoxville Gymnastics Training Center. His name's Phil Savage that used to own it. Great guy. Um, and he hired me to come out. For, I lived in Los Angeles at the time and be the special guest at this camp. Long story short, I got there, turned around. It was this beautiful woman. And I said, I'm going to marry that girl. <clears throat> Moved back to Los Angeles, obviously. I got the girl <laughs> and then uh, I moved back, or went back to Los Angeles, packed all my stuff up and came to, to Knoxville until she finished college. She was going to UT getting her business degree. And when I was there, Phil Savage asked me to make this. Can I can I help make this camp bigger? And the camp was just um, kids would come and stay with families and mostly local kids. 
Uh, and I said, well, if we're going to, if, yeah, if you want me to be involved, I'd love to be involved, but you know, I, I want to rename the camp and I also want, I want to make it like a camp, you know, we need, we should get hotels where the kids can come stay in hotels and we have, you know, canteen. So we had like one of the hotel rooms was a canteen and they, they took, they took school buses back and forth to, to the gym in the hotel. And my wife and I kind of just jumped in and it just kind of started from there. I mean, I never even asked my wife to do anything. She just started like taking reservations and, uh, you know, I'll answer these emails. Next thing you know, she's designing everything. Like she built the whole, you know, how the whole registration process worked. And I mean, she, she did a lot at the beginning. And then um, so it just kind of went from there, grew from 50 kids, 100 kids, 200 kids, one week, two week, three week, four week. And I kept asking Roethlisberger because he was I brought him in as a guest if he wanted to be a part of it. And he was in Minnesota at the time. He's like, no, nah, I don't think so. And then one day uh, he ended up in Jacksonville, Florida. And, and because of some real estate stuff I was doing, I ended up in Ocala, Florida. So we were talking a lot and I brought up the camp again. He's like, no. Nah. And then a week later, he just calls me. And he's like, hey, man, I'm going to think about this camp thing. I want to I want to I want to do it. I was like, all right. So we first started looking in Florida and we were just going to move Flip Fest to Florida. And we had a property there we were looking at. And then I, my friends in Tennessee were like, man, you got to do it in Tennessee. The weather's better. There's no gators. You can get a lake. It's cheaper, you know, all this stuff. So I was like, all right, we'll look when we're up there. And it was like the fourth property. And John and I, we had already seen some other ones that we didn't really like. And we, we got to where Flip Fest is and it was just blank land. You couldn't even where camp is, you couldn't even really get onto it because it was so overgrown with forest and stuff. And so we first saw it from the other side of the lake off of the dam. And uh, we both looked at each other like, well, this, this is it. And so we made an offer on it and got it. And the rest is history. It took a lot to, to get it all done, you know, financing that kind of money. And then also, I mean, we had to build our own you know, sewage treatment facility. And, you know, it was like all kinds of stuff. You know, it was a big deal, you know? Yeah. Um, but now we, you know, we can sleep, I think it's around 400, close to 400 people sleep and feed 400 people. And, and uh, it's just a little slice of heaven for us. Yeah. And what year did you guys officially open to, for operations at the current location? Uh, 2006. Very cool. Yeah. And now how did it start? So how many, say your first camp in 2006, how many um, campers did you guys have and how many weeks did you guys do? And then mm -hmm. what, what has been the evolution of it till now? Yeah. Um, so our first, our, we, we wanted to do it in 2005, but it was just, we wanted to already have our new facility then, but there was no way we were going to pull it off in time and find it. So, uh, and get it built. So we did one more time in Knoxville. And we had 800 kids and that was John's first year kind of as an owner. And then to make the numbers work, um, we had to double in capacity to, to jump to the next level of having our own facility. So that was pretty scary, but we ended up doing it. And um, we went to 1600 kids, I think that next year. And then, you know, we've gone all the way up to having 3000 kids a summer. Wow. And, and we've always, we used to do 11, 11 weeks. We might've done, I think we tried 12 one time, but we used to do 11 and now we're down to 10. We did 10. Now. Well, actually, I think we did nine last year because we added the cheerleading. So it's either around nine or 10 weeks now. 
Nice. And the reason why we do that, it's not that we're getting smaller. It's just that, you know, if you have two weeks that have a hundred kids, cause it's towards the end of the summer, 120 kids, it's better just to combine the weeks and have one big week. Um, so that's what, that's why we, we for, for years we had 12 weeks and the, the last week was because your pool gets so small because so many kids are back in school that the week just gets really tiny. Yeah. And what has been the vision for you and uh, Roethlisberger in regards to what you guys want this camp to kind of be, you know, um, at least from my experience being a coach there, um, some of the things that I, you know, kind of seen as the connections that you make, right. Be, with other coaches, there's a lot of people who probably got coaching jobs because of the uh, connections that they made there. Um, as well as, you know, the athletes, I think they've probably learned a lot about themselves just because they have opportunities to do things that they probably may not be able to at their, um, their home gym, just because their facility just may not be, um, at that, at that point, or their coaches just may not have the knowledge yet to be able to coach them at their current potential. Right. When you and and Roethlisberger kind of started to really do this, what was your guys's vision and and purpose um, for the camp that you wanted the athletes and the the coaches to kind of get out of it? Well, I mean, you know, first of all, you're, you're coming there for gymnastics and to learn gymnastics. And that's kind of a given. Our first question from parents was like, am I, are my kid, is my child going to learn a lot of gymnastics? It's going to get this skills and get their back handspring. And, and we are very honest with them. And we're like, look, I think your child's going to learn a lot and get skills, but they're there for a week and a week only. So it's not a lot of time. Um, so our goal is one, if you're just talking about skills is to, if they're working on a skill that they're, they're kind of almost there, but they don't have it yet, never made it. Maybe this environment or different coach hearing other things from different coaches and also just being motivated by being in a different environment because Footfest is a very electric environment. They might get that skill. And usually that happens. Um, but the number one thing we're, we really strive to do, and this is for, for campers and coaches, is to be a place that recharges you and motivates you for the rest of the year um, that you could refer back to and 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 find um, motivation on your down days and grab energy from we call it the flip fest energy of that that energy that just makes you go I can do this I can get through this and and really letting kids understand and know what they're capable of doing you know 99% of these kids aren't going to the Olympics Ninety uh, percent of them aren't doing college gymnastics, but those ninety percent are so important to to this world that is so much bigger than gymnastics. So if we can instill in them what it means to be a gymnast and how you use those same uh, traits in the real world, um, that's our that's our main goal is for that kid to come in. Um, not really know what they're getting into and leave and go, man, the world is my oyster. I can, I can, I can accomplish anything I put my mind to with hard work. That's, that's the goal. Yeah. And how did the special guests kind of part of it, you know, cause I know you said when you started, um, with the, that boys team, um, that, that the boys camp that you're a special guest, 
And mm-hmm. so did that kind of be, was that kind of what you wanted to have? Cause I know a lot of, you know, either former Olympians are on, on, um, come to the camp as well as, um, collegiate athletes and, um, collegiate coaches. So kind of what was the thought process with that, um, being a part of the camp? I mean, I just think it's important for kids to meet their heroes, um, in anything you do. So for us to bring in the top gymnasts in the world, uh, we want them to be able to ask them questions, rub, rub shoulders with them and, and, you know, just kind of understand what it means and what it took to, to get to where they're at. And for them to just see that they're just like you. I always say like, look, they, they don't fly in on a cape, you know, they don't got a cape, you know, they're great. They're amazing, but they were, they were you and you can be them if you work hard enough. Yeah. What is your favorite part of camp? Like what kind of gets you energized or what gets you excited about camp when you think about camp and then when you're going through it? My favorite, my favorite part of camp probably is just the, the overall sound of it. You know, you have this property, it's 150 acres with a lake and all this stuff. And, and for a a big part of the year, it's very quiet. You know, we were there just for Thanksgiving. My family, we all went there for Thanksgiving and it's amazing. It's beautiful, very quiet, very private, but it has a different feeling. And as soon as camp starts, it's just a, it's just a certain sound that you hear from, from the, the music because music's big for us and the beat and the voices and the screams. And, you know, you might be walking through the camp and you hear a kid just get their first, you know, double back. And then at the same time, you hear a kid screaming off the ropes course, you know, yeah. and that, that sound never gets old. Um, and that was probably the most surprising thing to me when we first opened, you know, it was a year, six or seven months of original, like hard construction, because we had to build that entire thing out from everything. I mean, there wasn't even electricity or water on the property. So all that happened in that time. And, and a lot of work John and I put in the ropes course. And so you're, you're in that situation and just hearing forest and nature, you know, very quiet, just John and me. And yeah. we say to each other a lot, like, can you imagine what's going to be like to hear kids like walking down here? And, and we would say that over and over again. And then the first day of flip fest there to hear that and the jet skis going and kids on the ropes course and swimming. And it was just like the, that life was, it was just so cool. And it never gets old. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. No, and you know, for anybody who hasn't really been there, it, it is quite the experience, you know, just like you have said, um, from the intros, you know, when you come in and the way, you know, camp starts and the camp ends the same way it, it starts, right? It's yeah, it, it comes in with energy, it leaves with energy. So it's not mm-hmm. like, you know, because the hardest the hardest thing sometimes, especially no matter how long a camp is, if a camp is two weeks, if it's a week or whatever, if it's even two days, it feels like the day before or the day like the last day, it just feels like all your energy is like left. And no matter the duration of the camp, right? And mm-hmm. being able to like re-energize them and remind them of all the work that they did and the energy that they had to to leave with them right because mm-hmm. a lot of these times kids are nervous they come in first and they're like oh my gosh I'm so scared maybe this is my mm-hmm. first time really away from my parents you know um 
you know, being with other, other kids besides my teammates and stuff like that, you know, and then all of a sudden this thing comes up and they're like, Woo-hoo! and then yeah. to leave that same way. Now I can be like, you know, on the way home is not just like, Oh, you know, um, well, I, I'm so tired now from campus. Like now I'm excited. Hey, I'm on my way home. We left with energy and, and stuff like that. So to me, that that's one of the things that really is um, touching, but also, you know, at least on the coaches side is the, um, the intentional connections that are made, you know, when we kind of have those like coaches kind of the morning kind of talks that we kind of do and kind of talk about what your goals are. You know, I remember writing, you know, getting married and, and, and stuff like that as one of those, um, um, on one of those index cards and putting mm-hmm. it up on the wall, yeah. right? And yeah. being able to kind of, you know, see like, hey, you know what, that goal was achieved. And mm-hmm. this is kind of where I laid the 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 foundation as a thought here, right? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I think even just connections, like me getting to where I am now was because of a FlipFest connection. It was my, you know, previous coaching partner, um, was connected to the head coach that was under came to our camp and so on and so forth so it, it's been mm-hmm. such a great you know place for for that you know as well and um I would encourage any other coaches who you know need somewhere to just kind of go to connect with other especially there's a pl- plethora of coaches because you know each week there's there's a lot and there's some who mm-hmm. come with their kids just to learn some who come as coaches um, but again, you never know where it'll take you. Right. Yeah, no. And that's exactly right. Like I said before, it's, it's just as much for the coaches as it, as it is for the campers, because the coaches are those, those people that I have so much respect for that go back to their gyms and, and really put in the hard, hard day-to-day work with these kids to not only get them to be great gymnasts, but really to shape them as amazing human beings. So we're, we're trying to, motivate that process also um and it's 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 flip fest is really it's one big support group you know it's like we always say and you you have people here that you can turn to and especially in this day and age people need to know that they're loved and people need to know they have people to talk to and turn to um and flip fest is kind of that conduit to to have people meet and that that share a common bond and then you know, hopefully start a friendship and, and, and have something that, that takes that feeling year round for them, not just for one week. Yeah, no, I agree. And how many other like full-time staff members do you guys have that help you kind of run the camp um, either right now, like throughout the year. And then typically um, during a summer, say, we'll just talk about flip fest gymnastics part. How many um, staff do you guys have throughout the the summer so i mean full-time staff uh you just have uh myself and john um kristen osh um o shields jones um who and then brian jones her husband and then you have mr craig who does our maintenance and uh lorne mcallister who does all of our registration and then um, I don't think I'm leaving anybody out. And then we bring people on to um, kind of supplement that in, in the summertime. So 
in the summertime during actual camp, we could have anywhere from 50 to 70 staff members between, you know, all the coaches and all the activities and dining hall and all that stuff. Yeah, no, that's good. Yeah. Um, kind of transitioning into, um, I guess your yourself a little bit. Um, I'll kind of start from, you know, where you kind of grew up and then we'll kind of get, go in, we'll evolve it into kind of your thought process about college gymnastics and your Olympic career. Yeah. Um, but you had mentioned earlier that, um, you were in LA, mm-hmm. um, and then I was kind of doing some research prior to, um, your dad and your grandfather and one of your brothers or your mm-hmm. brother's an actor, correct? Or yeah. Or and my mom. Okay. And my great grandfather. So there's a, yeah, it, it was in our family from the very beginning. And my, my grandfather was at, he was actually a very big actor, um, did over a hundred movies. He did Paz of Glory with Rita Hayworth and um, he did Gilda, or sorry, Gilda with Rita Hayworth, Paz of Glory with Kurt Douglas. Those were probably his biggest movies. If you've ever seen Shawshank Redemption, in the, the yeah. movie scene when Morgan Friedman asks for the poster of Rita Hayworth and he says, Oh, hold on. This is my favorite part. And they go to the movie and it's an old movie. That's my grandfather that comes in and says, uh, Gilda, are you decent? So um, I didn't know that when I first saw that movie. And then my dad said, you know, your grandfather's in that movie. And I said, that's my favorite movie. But now it's really my favorite movie because my grandfather's in it. So yeah, it, it's cool. It was cool growing up in that environment. I think there was a lot of motivation for me that came <clears throat> from growing up in, in Santa Monica um, in in the Hollywood area, just because, you know, I saw so many, um, I saw so many success stories at the highest level. And I also saw so many non-success stories that never made it. You know, I saw the full spectrum. Yeah. Um, my best friend in, in grade school since third grade um, was uh, Stephen Gordy, who was Barry Gordy's son, who uh, Barry Gordy's the founder of Motown, um, Jackson 5, Diana Ross, all those people. So, you know, he started uh, Motown with $800 out of a house in Detroit, you wow. know, so, you know, that makes an impression on you as a young kid of like, oh, that's how you, you gotta, you gotta start somewhere. You know, yeah. everybody thinks these people that do these amazing things are just like, oh, it just happened. You know, they just walked into it. You know, it yeah. it it starts like you're doing with this podcast. You know, it, yeah. it starts um, putting yourself out there and and getting your your dream out there and working at it. And I and I saw that at an early age, and I was always very just mesmerized by that. So I think that had a big part of of my of my success in my life. Yeah. And what kind of things that did your, your parents and your, you know, especially your parents teach you um, that kind of influence your career as an athlete? Um, Cause obviously from what I, what I know, and I don't know like the day-to-day grind of being an actor, but sometimes you're on set for a long time and you're shooting scenes, you know, multiple times. And, you know, we get to enjoy the theater and having the, dvds are streaming it yeah. now right yeah you don't see how much work goes into it and even the sacrifices that could have been you know and and we can even talk about 
you know, with their work scheduled, if it caused them to not be at your competition or if they did, if they sacrificed to be able to be there, you know, kind of what did um, your parents kind of teach you um, that influenced your um, sports career? Um, I think most of it was just, I mean, there are some things they've said to me over, over my lifetime, but for me, it's just example, you know, I've seen the example, my mom, my parents divorced when they were three. My mom was a single mom. Um, my dad remarried very early, both great parents, very different, probably should never gotten married in the first place, but, um, very different. My mom was, you know, love, 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 no matter what. And like, oh, I just uh, ran over the dog. It's okay, honey. You know, it was like, she just, or my dad was a, was a disciplinarian and, and, and very, you know, regimented. Um, and I really took from both of those um, angles of my life. But, but at the same time, they were both um, consistent. My mom was a consistent hard worker who, um, raised two children in Los Angeles, um, being a fit model, which is where you like, you know, companies try their clothes on you and stuff and you make sure that they're working and all that stuff. Um, and sometimes model them in a show. She was an actress. She was a real estate agent. She was an artist. You know, she did whatever she had to do to, to get by. Um, and I don't know how she did it. She, She did all that. And, drove me to gymnastics every single day, which in Los Angeles is not an easy thing. You know, I, I did gymnastics at one point in my life in Culver city, which is sometimes a 30, 45 minute drive, um, with traffic. So she was just a, she was just a worker, but there was never any complaining. There was never any like, Oh, this is, it was just she always had a good attitude. And she always just got up and, and did what she loved to do. And, yeah. and, she would get some big breaks. She'd do some big TV shows and, or get a big commercial and that would carry us for a while. And then she'd get another one, you know? So, um, I, that really made an impression on me. And then my dad was just very, uh, very consistent in what he did. I think the biggest thing that stepped out in my dad is he, he, my dad made some, uh, a couple movies, um, early on in his life that did really well. Um, and then he really, um, he, he volunteered at the pl- local playhouse and then he played tennis every day. My, I mean, literally since the time that I can remember of any memories of my life, my dad played tennis and he did that all the way up until he's 91 right now. I think he might've taken a break at maybe 88 or 89. He stopped. So almost through his entire eighties, he did that. Mm. And, you know, that to me is dedication and and consistency and that's and he loved it and that's what it that's what it takes to to be good at something is that that constant drive uh to just get up and 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 do what you need to do every day to get you know he wanted that perfect forehand he chased it his whole life you know (laughs) never gave up so so yeah I, i think those are the things that stick out to me in my childhood that's good and so your gymnastics career um, where did you start and when did you kind of know you were, you know, good at it and really mm-hmm. start to get into the point where, you know, you obviously made to the Olympics, um, kind of talk about that process from, you know, beginning and then, um, to, you know, being on the 96 Olympic team. 
Yeah. So I started gymnastics when I, I, I think I was around five or six years old. And I went to Broadway gymnastics school in Santa Monica. It was on fifth and Broadway right there in Santa Monica. And um, immediately I just kind of fell in love with it. And I don't ever remember not being a gymnast in my entire life. Everything else like before that, I, I just don't have any recollection of it. Um, and the Olympics came to Los Angeles in 1984. And that made a huge impact on my life. I didn't even know what the Olympics were at the time. I was uh, nine years old. And um, I remember my dad explaining it to me of, you know, the whole world is going to come here and they're all going to compete to be the best in, in their sport. And he took me to see the Olympic torch um, being brought into to, uh, Santa Monica, up the Santa Monica incline. And it's actually really cool. Um, if you search John McCready, LA Times, you'll see um, none other than, this is really funny, OJ Simpson bringing in the uh, Olympic torch. <laughs> and my brother and I on the barricade, barricade just staring at him as that flame came up at nine years old. And as soon as I saw that and then sat there on television, because, you know, we couldn't, my mom couldn't afford tickets to get there to see gymnastics. My dad took me to see boxing, but we, we couldn't afford to see gymnastics. Um, so I watched it on television. And to as soon as those 84, the 84 men's Olympic team uh, who won the gold medal, you know, and they, when I saw them on TV walk in, it was at Pauley Pavilion at UCLA, walk in and put their arm in the air and everyone just started chanting USA, USA. I was like, I want to do that. Yeah. And so from that point on, it was like, I'm going to be in the Olympics. And I didn't really know what I was saying, you know, but then other people was like, you know, you could be in the Olympics. Like they started telling me like, you're, you know, you have talent. And it just started kind of growing from there. I had no idea what I was getting myself into, but, um, you know, uh, it just progressed from there and, and I never, I never stopped. I love it. What was your favorite event to train and what was your best event? I really liked high bar and floor high bar. I just loved the, the feeling of it. It was very freeing. I mean, I just, I, I, I remember still just jumping up and grabbing the bar for your, your first your first uh, go at it for that day. And just that, that freeing feeling of just swinging around the bar and turning and, you know, blind change and dismount. And and then when I learned to Kovacs, which is a double back over the bar, I never, uh, and then you recatch, I never in my life thought I'd be able to do anything like that. Um, and then not only did I do it, but I actually became pretty consistent at it, which I was shocked at that also. <laughs> and uh I, there's just no, there's nothing better than having that feeling of coming over the bar, flying, and then, you know, catching it again. And, yeah. you know, as a kid, you always want to learn how to fly. And that that's really the closest you get. Yeah. Was college um, gymnastics ever in your, um, in your, your, your path of what you did? And oh, yeah. was it something you ever, um, and when you did, what kind of sparked you wanting to to do that well i mean i grew up right by ucla and ucla at the time was peter vidmar um tim daggett who were all in the 84 men's olympic team so i wanted to of course go to ucla um 
later I learned you had to actually be smart to go to UCLA. So that was all out the, out the window. <laughs> um, but um, I, I really, I, I wanted to do college gymnastics and um, I actually was about to, I was, I was verbally committed to Ohio state and Miles Avery was the assistant coach at the time. Peter Corman was the head coach and Miles came out. I was living in San Diego at the time. I moved away from home when I was, uh, I think 13 years old, 13 or 14 years old. And um, it was Steve Butcher who became my guardian and my, my coach. And really I would have never made it without him. He was integral part of my life. And um, uh, he, he got me not only to not quit gymnastics because that was one of the times in my life I was just like done with it to then learn how to have a normal life and still be a good gymnast and, but still have a social life and stuff. And, um, uh, so Ohio state came out, miles came out and <clears throat> did, you know, saw me at the gym and everything. And he basically offered me, you know, a spot on the team and a scholarship and everything. And I, I said, I'm in and, and it was a done deal. I was like, this is amazing, you know? And, and so I had the Ohio state hat sweatshirt. There was another guy at my school. His name was Leon Bender, who was a friend of mine. And he was a football player and he got a scholarship to Washington. And we were the two kids getting a scholarship out of high school. And it was in the paper and all that stuff. And I mean, I was like, let's go. Right. And then, and then Butcher came to me one day in the gym and he said, Hey, uh, I just want to let you know, Ohio state, it's, it's off the table. They, they signed Blaine Wilson and Drew Durbin. Mm. And I'm like, what? And they're like, because my SAT scores weren't in yet. I hadn't taken the SAT yet. <clears throat> so I was kind of devastated a little bit. I mean, that's kind of hard. And, um, and then Steve went, he said to me, um, hey, they're doing this new program at the Olympic Training Center, and you can go there and live in Colorado Springs, and they'll pay for your school. You don't do college gymnastics, but they'll pay for your school. And I was like, all right, well, let's do that. So, and I can't remember why it was that easy to make that decision, but I was the first resident at the Olympic Training Center for gymnastics that came out of high school instead of college. So you had other residents that were there like JD Reeve and Marshall Nelson, who were gymnasts at the time who had been there during high school, but you never had anybody opt to, to not go to college and instead go to the Olympic training center. And so, um, <clears throat> that was a, a big start of my life. And, um, there was a lot of things integral in, in that, because I don't, I think if I would have done college gymnastics, me personally, I don't think I would have made the Olympic team. And that was my goal. Uh, for some people, it's fantastic. Like it's the best thing for them. But for me, you know, I'm dyslexic. School was hard for me. I think college was, you know, carrying a load and being on a team was going to be very hard because I had to put a lot of work into school. And, and, I think I'm a, I'm a single focused person. Like here's my goal and go. And I don't know if I had also the goal of like being a, a gymnast at Ohio state competing for Ohio state, trying to win a national championship and trying to go to the Olympics. I don't know if that would have worked for my makeup. Yeah. So, I think that was God kind of directing me in a certain way that day, knowing, you know, what my goals were. And then um, having Vitaly Marinich, you know, Ron Brandt was the coach there who was very integral in my life. And then we got an assistant coach, Vitaly Marinich, who's from Ukraine, who was 
very integral, uh, became my, my coach and really changed my gymnastics to get me to the point that I needed to be at for the, for the Olympics. And then, um, I think 1993 or four, uh, was my first U S national championships. Um, they were in Nashville, Tennessee. <clears throat> and I think I got like 23rd place or something. And I made the senior developmental team, which means you're not really good, but we'll keep you around to see if you develop. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, so three years later, I went from 23rd to, to third in the country and, uh, and made the Olympic team. And which was the coolest thing because, you know, my original dream of the Olympics and, and where it started was watching the 84 men walk into the Paula Pavilion chanting USA in your country. And then I had the honor of, of having the next Olympics and the only other Olympics so far, summer Olympics that has been in America, which was in Atlanta. And I got to uh, stand there while they pulled the curtain aside and we walked into the Georgia dome, 35,000 people all on their feet chanting USA and I put my hand in the air and waved just like they did in 84, you know, and it was yeah. like full circle, you know, um, my vision came true exactly what I wanted to do. Um, and I think that's important, you know, visualizing what what you want to do is, is and where you want to be. I visualized that moment my whole life, you know. Um, so, yeah, that was a, it was a it was a it wasn't the original journey that was in my mind. Yeah, but it was the one. Thank the Lord that worked because it 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 really shaped me, yeah, as a person and as a gymnast. Right now, some of the things you had mentioned earlier that you're kind of involved in, like getting into real estate and obviously getting into the camps, um, um, kind of business and running that. You know, um, where academics was hard where did you develop and how did you develop the skills and the passions to kind of do the things that you're doing now um you know because not all the time but you know going to school and really learning formally how to do certain things um mm -hmm. seems like it's the, the way you're supposed to do things you know or what society may say has to happen but mm -hmm. we have a lot of conversations with people a lot of times they have you know stories where they have um, certain um, things, like you said, being dy dyslexic or, you know, mm -hmm. academics, it was just not easy, but yet they have, you know, a, a success story in life and they're able to do things outside of what, you know, um, formal learning will say that you need to do. Can you yeah. kind of talk about your development and those passions and how you know, you kind of use your disadvantages to create advantages to where you are now. Well, I think what you just said was the main key in that. Um, you know, with me being dyslexic, it was never a, and, and school being harder for me and having to, you know, go through a different path in school to, and learn differently than other kids. Um, it, it, it wasn't, uh, it, it was, it wasn't a, negative thing in my life it was a positive thing in my life which i think is how you should look at everything it was just right. hey i'm different i'm different i have to figure out a different way to get through this because i was born different which i love now it was harder you know my wife 
graduated with a business degree and never barely had to crack a book or go to class, you know, where me, it was like to, to pass statistics. It was like, here we go. You know, (laughs) you know, it was like, I really had to work really, really hard, but that was just how my brain was made up. But I never harped on that. I was never like, I'm not going to be six. In fact, but other people did, you know, my dad was always worried about me. I mean, out of everyone in my family, he was like, God, what are we gonna do about John? You know? Um, and I just think it's, it's really important to, for people to know that, you know, everybody's path is different. College is very important. Education is very important, but people learn a different way. Some people learn in all different ways. And, you know, our goal is to contribute and make the world better for the people around us. That's what we're here for. Right. And you're getting your education to do that with whatever you're going to do, be a teacher, be in marketing, be an attorney, a doctor, whatever you're doing, you really should be taking that to make the world a better place and help people around you. So however you get to that goal is how you get to that goal. And for me, for some reason, I was born with kind of a street smart, street smart sense of just really seeing how things work and understanding it immediately and then being able to do it, whether it's um, fixing something like a car or whatever. I, you know, I, the, my mind just works that way to the point where, you know, like Roethlisberger and, and my wife sometimes are like, what, what goes on in your mind? Like, how do you, you know, but it just naturally is like that. Yeah. But, um, and, and, and John's like that um, a lot also, not as much as my mind. And, and, but, you know, Lacey and him, it, their, their mind is, is different in other ways, my wife. And, but it's not like it's better or worse. It's just like, we all complement each other. Right. And I think that's the biggest thing is like, you, you can't do it alone, you know? So everything that I knew I wasn't good at, I made sure I didn't concentrate on it. And I found someone else to do it that I trusted. Yeah. Um, and everything I was really good at, I put my head to the grindstone and I, and I got it done. Um, so I, I, you know, every, everybody's path is different. I think, I think college should always be in your mind. I, I, you know, I don't ever think, you know, a lot of times my kids right now, they'll come home to me and they'll say that I, I learned this in school today. I'm never going to use it again. And they're probably right. 100%. 99% of the stuff you learn in in school, you will never use again, which is true. But what it does is it teaches you how to have a job and get it done. Yeah. And it makes you accountable. That's the number one thing I think it does. Now, there are differences where you're going to study to be a doctor or an attorney and all that, once you get to that side, you're going to use that stuff again. You know, so there is that side of, of having that knowledge to be able to retain. But, you know, most of the people that I see go and get a degree. They either don't use their degree or, or it doesn't really affect what they're doing. They just yeah. have a degree, you know. Yeah. So um, for me, I, you know, my daughter's a freshman at UT right now. And she started with business. I think she's going to change it to marketing or something she mentioned but for me, it's her, it's, this is for her to go and grow up and learn how to be a responsible adult and learn how to have a task at hand. And I have a test this day and I got to learn this and that and this. And that, that's, that's 
the that's the number one thing that I think is so important about college. Some people go through that process and and or maybe don't and go, it's not for me. Yeah. And and they might be right. I think one of the greatest things that's happening right now in this world is is people pushing kids to trade schools, you know, to take that pressure off them of like, oh, you got to go to a college, a four-year school. I mean, a lot of people make very good money at being a plumber and love yeah. it. Yeah. You know, it's like, and if your mind is at that, how cool that someone went, hey, right out of high school, here's this class, go here for whatever, eight weeks or a year, and then you can start your own plumbing business and and be off to the races. Yeah. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but I think until you get to that stage, you need to you need to look at every avenue. Don't cancel any of them out. Yeah. No, I agree. And that's one of the hard things I think too, you know, sometimes is the the question, what do you want to do? Who do you want to be? Who do you want to become? You know, a lot of times it, it's hard because people will make up stuff because mm -hmm. they either think that's what people want to hear because really what they want to do um, may sound outlandish, right? And mm -hmm. we listen so much to uh, you know societal standards and requirements and stuff like that instead of thinking about who am I what am I passionate about mm -hmm. you know, what do I love to do and what am I what am I good at right and then mm -hmm. just do that for the rest of your life because yeah. if you're able to do that and make you know a, a living for you and your family and feel comfortable and help other people like you had mentioned you know yeah. I think that's good and 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 if you feel like going to college is that way, you know, making sure that you're really understanding what you're trying to do in, in that investment, right. That you're, that you are, um, you're putting in, but also knowing that yes, there's, you know, you don't want to waste your time while in college, but allowing yourself to explore because, you know, just like you had mentioned, your daughter had a vision of doing business and maybe it, it was a class that she had it was like hey maybe i could do marketing or maybe mm -hmm. paying attention to the trends of what's happening with social media or even just marketing and stuff like that is you know saying hey maybe marketing is the way to go and never knowing what really you know is um um you know being so fixated on hey this is what i have to do because this is what i had set off to sometimes you need to take a left-hand turn you thought you were going to go right. And sometimes you got to know. And I think that's one thing I've been good in my life of understanding and going and is giving up that turn, you know, like, no, I got to go right. And then I, I can quickly go, nope, I got to go left, you know? Um, and I think, you know, there's two things us as human beings want and we strive for. The number one thing I think is acceptance. Everybody wants to be accepted. Yep. If you say you don't, you're on, you're in the minority. Um, and what is accepted, accepted mean? It means you have purpose. It means that you are contributing. It means people recognize you. Um, now there's a balance to that. And I always, my favorite word to teach my kids is balance. Like always keep balance in mind. Cause you could say, I want to be accepted and that goes too far. And then yeah. you're relying on everybody else's attempt, you know, for yeah. what to you, you know, but really, the number one thing about first being accepted is learning how to accept yourself. You know, you can't love, somebody, you can't love somebody else if you don't love yourself. You know, that's just number one. So everybody wants to be accepted. 
And then everybody wants to be entertained. Everybody. We all want to be entertained. Mm. And you say, oh, entertain. Like you want to watch a TV show? You want to watch everything. 99% of the decisions we make in our life. You have a day off on a Sunday or you're on vacation. Vacation is a better example. If you're on vacation, every decision you're making on vacation is how to entertain yourself and your family while you're there. Yeah. But it's no different in your life. You know, you you want to be entertained. So the so to understand that and recognize that helps you make your choices better because if if you're gonna go into something that's not gonna entertain you in your life, then that's not what you need to be going into. You know, because that's what we're here for. We want yeah. to be entertained, stimulated, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um now, a lot of times people, uh, there's this one video, this guy says, uh, uh, follow your passions, the worst thing you could ever tell anybody, which I actually mm-hmm. love. That video. Um, you probably can just find it on YouTube or something, just say, follow your passion speech. But he says it's the worst thing possible um, because he says that um, might be not what you is your passion, but it's your gift. And if you conquer that, it will lead to your passion. Yeah. Can you say that again? Because when you said it, it froze. Yeah. So he said, we're all we're all born with a gift and you need to find out what that gift is and you need to exploit that, whether it's your passion or not. Like some might some people might say, I'm I'm so good at math, um, but I don't want to be an accountant. But that's clearly what you're good at. Yeah. Well, you might need to exploit that to then be able to do your passion yeah. later. You know yeah. what I mean? So it's like, there is again, a balance to that of, you know, uh, a lot of people will just stay going, I haven't found my passion yet. So they don't do anything. It's like, man, you you have to, success will lead you to your, your passion, <laughs> you know? And yeah. so luckily I was, I, in my life, I was passionate about gymnastics. I loved it. And I, and, and now what I'm doing, I love. So, but I think that's important for people to know a lot of times is if you if you are blessed to have a a gift that is just glaring at you, but it doesn't interest you, really take a look at that because it could lead you into that interest that you don't even know you're looking for. Right. No, I think that's right on. Because um, the way you said, you know, the two things like your acceptance, because I, I kind of say the same thing, you know, everyone wants to be liked, loved, accepted, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then what you said, everybody wants to be entertained. You mm-hmm. know, I've never really thought of it like that. So, you know, and it's so true. And I think mm-hmm. that's why now that we have so much access to um, entertainment, we get so fixated, right? And, yeah. and can become distracted. And where mm-hmm. you had mentioned um how you talk to your kids, having a balance, right. And understanding too much of entertainment of, of a certain kind, right. And knowing if it's distracting you or if it's really benefiting you, right. And doing, you know, engaging in entertainment that you can learn from, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. and I, as you said, if I am in school, like why certain teachers probably get more or better reviews is how they engage the classroom, right? Because they're yeah. entertaining their the 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 class and their students and keeping yeah. them engaged. It's not just yeah. up there, 
you know, two plus two is four. And then I took these apples and minus three, you know, it's just like, okay, no, but if you make it. Teachers that don't even, when you're working with them, you don't even know you're learning. You know, you're so into it. You're just like, oh, that's cool. And you're like, oh, I'm I'm doing it, you know? Yeah. Um, But yeah, I think it's, it's an interesting thing is like uh, the the entertainment side of life of, you know, you watch now when you plan your day and stuff, it's really, you know, how, like, if you have to run errands, like, oh, I got to do this and I got to do that. I got to do this. You'll still try to like figure out how to make that entertaining. You're like, but well, okay, but then I'm going to go get lunch here. And now you're excited. You're like, you yeah. know, oh, I got him, but then I'm going to get that hamburger, you know, whatever it is, you know, you'll, you'll structure things around. And that that's a, uh, it's a, it's just part of our human nature. But now, because like you said, technology and these phones, I mean, you're constantly inundated with that, you know? Yeah, no. And it's cool. And it's cool to see how you have used some of your um, passions, like, you know, from what I notice, you know, you're an entertainer in how you kind of run the camp, but also, you know, um, you've done some of those kind of tours with, uh, gymnastics you know that have been kind of popular which is great because you know in the sport of gymnastics there's not a lot of avenues to really make money or to really yeah. create and so you know those tours have been probably a great thing to to do to um, kind of give a different perspective especially to the non like the people who don't watch gymnastics on a, on a regular basis right mm-hmm. um, and so being able to you know, presented in a, in a different way so that yeah. they can, they can engage with it. It's not, you know, super formal. Right. And, it's, and Hey, I have no idea what the skill is or this and that, or I just see, you know, the athletes just flying over this bar or doing all these crazy flips and everyone's like, Whoa, you know, things that I can't do. Right. Um, <clears throat> I think, you know, you're a great example of, uh, of doing that. And, and um and obviously you probably you know learned some of that stuff knowing what your your family lineage kind of did with acting and stuff like that you know your job is literally to um find a way to um entertain other people when they either go out to watch you or now you know when they're sitting at home either by themselves or with somebody else um you know group of friends you know and think that you are um, engaging enough to be able to stay tuned and care about what you're doing, you know? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I always wanted to be an actor. That was what I wanted to do my whole life. And I actually went after it a little bit after I retired. I didn't really like the life. I didn't like the world. I didn't like the, the environment of, of being in that environment and the rejections hard too. It's very difficult to, you know, put yourself out there so many times. I mean, every actor, no matter how amazing you are, if you're, you know, Julia Roberts and and Tom Cruise or all those people, I'm telling you, they went through a ton of rejection. (laughs) It's just part of it, you know, and it's a difficult process of it. Um, But I decided really quickly, I was like, ah, it's not really for me. But just because you're not going to be an actor in Hollywood doesn't mean you're not going to be an entertainer. I love entertaining. I love seeing people laugh. I love people seeing, seeing people smile. And, and that's Flip Fest 
it's it's an entertainment it's a show like you said it starts and it ends um there there's a beginning and end and in between that is a whole lot of entertainment and that's really what i what i enjoy is uh you know if you do our dance at foot fest it's not just a normal dance you know it's it's like something you'd see in, in vegas for kids you know like yeah it's it's kids club uh because because you know you want you want them to see that 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 excitement of of all those kids being together and 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 the joy it brings to everybody and the costumes and everything right now the music part you had mentioned you kind of run a huge guitar kind of um kind of not really convention but you know retreat retreat yes that's the word um Do you personally have passions like musical passions and do you play music? I know we had, we've talked about this when I was at camp with your son Hudson who plays um, kind of yeah. what is the kind of story behind, you know, that and what's your personal experience? As you see, I have a guitar up here. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, I, I, I love music behind, well, not behind me, in front of me. I have a drum set right over there. I have my bass on the wall and, you know, my keyboard and stuff like that. So yeah. I'm really passionate about music. I love music. Uh, it's probably it's probably my favorite thing in the world, probably, other than my family. <laughs> I just love what music does. I love how it immediately changes someone's uh my or it changes their their mood i mean immediately i don't know of anything else in the world that could change someone's mood as fast as music yeah you know? and then some people be like oh there's a lot of drugs that would you know <laughs> you know <laughs> you get surgery and you get put underneath you know it's like that changes your mood pretty quick but not as fast as music like a minute someone hears a beat or something, you'll, you'll see their head bob or you see that, you know, it changes everything. And I, and, and it, and it can immediately make someone sad, happy, you know, whatever. So I think our whole life is a, is a musical soundtrack. And um, I just love, I love the the creative process of it. Um, I love what it takes to learn an instrument and how hard it is um, on that same side of that i'm awful at music i can't i'm trying to learn guitar right now hudson's teaching me and i feel like i'm a special ed kid you know it's <laughs> like i told him last night he's like oh my gosh um because my mind does not and my fingers don't go <laughs> as fast as his with it and he doesn't even he doesn't understand his gift that much i mean when he was eight years old he started i mean immediately it was like you know he picked everything up and it was just, you know, yeah. I I don't know if I'll ever get to that level. He was at when he was at, when he was eight, you know, yeah. but I love the process and I love, um, I love musical instruments. They're like a piece of art, you yeah. know, hanging on the wall. What else could you hang on the wall? that actually does something, you know, yeah. people go spend all this money on art and it just sits there. No, it makes you happy and you look at it and it's beautiful, but you could take that same, piece of art because some that's artwork i mean some right. some put a lot of work into that and you right. can take it off the wall and it makes a sound you know yeah. so it's it, it's just it's cool and, and to have a son that is is so talented at it um it's just my way of like 
being able to be a part of that, you know, yeah. it, oh, I love that. It's fun. Yeah. And being in Tennessee, you know, and in Knoxville, you, you get a lot of music, right? Especially um, country music. And there's probably a lot of other styles too, just because of, you know, and me being in Austin as well, they're not really Austin, but near Austin and your daughter being at uh, now UT and you, when you said UT, you mean University of Tennessee. Yes. Yeah. When I thought about UT. That's the only one. (laughs) You have to argue with the ones over here. (laughs) (laughs) Like for me, like um, I'm from Minnesota. And so we call the the, um, University of Minnesota U of M. Right. But If you think of when you say U of M, a lot of people actually think about Michigan just because Michigan's yeah. obviously a better yeah. university, at least on the sports, you know, yeah. um, overall. And so I understand, I, I understand that. But um, going back to the music part, you know, being in Tennessee, um, there's a lot of opportunity to go see live shows or even just kind of be a part of part of the music scene and stuff like that. Um and I'm sure you probably indulge in a lot of that. Um, oh, we do concerts all the time. Yeah, I love it. And, yeah. you know, there's a lot of country music. And, you know, obviously Nashville is the country music capital of the world. So there, you know, you could you could go to a ton of country music. But in outside of Nashville, it, it's, it's a big mix, you know. I mean, you'd be hard-pressed tonight. I mean, you, there's, you know, there's, there's like one, there's Cotton Eye Joe's which is here in Knoxville that is like a country, you know, music venue. But a lot of times, you know, so like you could go there, but a lot of the places around are just indie bands, you know, different. And there's a lot of people that come out of here. Um, you know, obviously Morgan Wallen was from Knoxville and uh, what's that? Um, there's another girl. Can't think of her name right now. Um, now those are more country, but then there's a lot of bands, um, that, that are kind of growing out of here that are not country. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a mix. Yeah. No, I, yeah. Music. I I feel the same way. I, especially when I'm playing and engaging in music, I can be there for a long time and I can really lock in and, you know, I think it's a huge component to entertainment as well i think we not not only just using music but i think we do things at a cadence that's similar to music to kind of get people engaged because you know the the tone of your voice the 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 rate of speed that you talk again it's all these things that kind of go back to how music sounds to us and kind of gets us engaged right and if someone is monotone like this it's almost like if you're if you're not into opera it'd be like listening to opera which is just like you know and and people would be like all right i'm gonna tune that out just because it may sound annoying right but if you can kind of have like a rhythm and a tempo to what you're doing and have these breaks or have these whatever that really kind of get people engaged and then you kind of get back into it with energy you know it goes back to what you said, to the entertainment yeah. of um, of people and being and wanting to be entertained. Yeah, yeah. Now, kind of last kind of topic, you know, talking about um, college um, sports or gymnastics specifically. Um, <clears throat> I know Roethlisberger; he's more engaged in the college world with his commentating and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and with you kind of having the opportunity to do college 
um, how the offer to be able to do college gymnastics, at least men's gymnastics. And then obviously life took you a different route and, you know, going into Olympics, kind of what is your thought process of where the, um, where men's gymnastics is in college and even just in general, and then kind of what's your thought about women's gymnastics and how it also is influencing, um, the world of gymnastics, both, um, because now in, in, in women's gymnastics, more than any time that I can remember, there's athletes going to college gymnastics and trying to go to world teams or Olympic teams, or they were on Olympic teams and coming to college gymnastics and yeah. either going back to that, you know, um, um, elite world or, you know, have made such an impact on college gymnastics and before you know there were you know former olympians and stuff like that who were part of college gymnastics teams but i feel like it's at a different level now yeah yeah i mean i think women's gymnastics has never been stronger um obviously you know you got simone who's greatest gymnast ever in this you know she's actually still competing so that's helped the sport a lot and the women have always been good i mean you just look back you got simone Nastia, Carly Patterson. I mean, I'm I'm leaving a bunch out, but you know, we they've had a huge, huge run of not only all around Olympic champions, but also team Olympic champions. So um that's that's great. And then you have women's gymnastics in in um in college is also uh really I think at the best place it's been. Um, it's getting more TV coverage than it's ever got. Uh, it's growing. And I think the reason why is because what we talked about before is everybody wants to be entertained. So now every sport looks to entertain. I don't care what you're at. If you're at, you know, a bowling competition, they are going to try to now they got a producer, you know, a field producer and they got the DJ and the music. And, you know, it's it's just a different world now. It's not just about the sport. It's about the experience. Yeah. And I think women's gymnastics has really caught on to that and done a great job. And TV's picked up on it and their audience likes it. And it's, it's really grown. Um, yeah. uh, now, men's gymnastics, I don't know. It's sad. Um, I don't it, it's. And it's not, it's not just men's gymnastics. It's every sport that doesn't make a ton of money or have a big audience. Um, and, and I don't know what's going to happen with those sports because college gymnastics, college sports in general, not just gymnastics is dwindling. If you're a sport that doesn't make money or at least don't, doesn't lose money. And that's sad because I think they're forgetting what sports is all about and what these sports do. It's worth the investment. You know, if you have whatever team, um, a wrestling team, a gymnastics team, a swimming team, you know, a lot of these sports are getting canceled tennis, you know, those people are better in different people coming out of college athletics going into the real, real world if they didn't have that i don't think they'd be as effective so it's an investment i don't think people are looking at it that way um because they're just looking at their budgets and the bottom line and they're just you know checking things off they don't care and that's sad it's really sad i don't know how they're going to stop it 
Um, a lot of people are trying. A lot of people are doing a lot of things to 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 turn the tide. I haven't seen the tide turn yet. I hope it does. But um, people got to fight for it. They got to keep fighting and and making sure that they're represented in whatever sport they do. You know, so and and on the same front, it's weird because that's kind of happening in colleges. But you're you're also seeing a rebirth of sports all around the country. Of yeah. So it's weird. It's kind of happening in the world, but it's not happening in college. I mean, look at the Olympics. They're adding all these sports and flag football and break dancing and, you know, and, yeah. you know, now lacrosse is getting huge and lacrosse has been growing for years, but it's gotten a lot bigger, you know. Um, so sports that you never really would hear of are are, are growing now in in the world of, that you should just be baseball, soccer and football. You know, yeah. but it's not translating to the college scene as much as I'd like to see. Yeah. Um, other than women's stuff, like women's lacrosse, you know, they, they're they're picking up a lot more women's sports. But it's just the nature we're we're in, and uh, hopefully we f- we figure out a fix for it. But money drives the money drives it all, right? And in at least in college, uh, not necessarily college gymnastics, but you know, a, a cool thing that has happened on the women's side at least is Akron tumbling because, oh yeah that's great mm-hmm. oh man if you if you watch what these women can do and the strength that they have you know the the skills that they they can do I, I remember I was going through because we had a athlete who um actually we've had a handful of athletes that I have worked with who just committed to either inaugural programs or are at pro- programs like one is at Baylor. And so I was just kind of looking through their stuff and I'm like, man, the holds and the stuff that they do with each other, you know, it, man, it's crazy. They're like, normally we would see guys, you know, being the bases and throwing them up and these girls are doing this stuff, you know, and it's, it's incredible. Right. And I think it's going to catch on because there's a lot more programs and hopefully on my podcast, I'm able to start to kind of expose that a little bit more because it gives um, an opportunity, just like we talked about, for uh, athletes to be able to keep doing a sport to have them be better and hopefully, you know, um, give them a way to get to um, schools that they may not have ever been able to because of, you know, financial reasons or whatever the case may be, or if they just weren't at that caliber to get a college scholarship, but yet they can use their gift and their talents to do acro and tumbling. It'd be kind of cool to see that for, you know, the guy side too. Like sometimes guys don't realize that, Hey, if I tumbled, I could go and get a full scholarship as a cheerleader for some of these D one programs, you know, and not think about the stigma of, Hey, it's cheerleader, this and that. It's like, if you can get, your school paid for and do something where you're still part of a team and a community and this and that why not right yeah no i think i think akron tumbling is the best thing they've done in the sport in a long time because it mixes gymnasts that didn't really want to continue to do gymnastics but didn't want to go into cheerleading and then cheerleaders that don't really want to cheerlead anymore but still want to do some sort of gymnastics but don't want to do gymnastics and then dancers the same thing they don't really want to they want to dance but not they also want to do gymnastics but they you know and and acro people you know that are doing acro but also you know want more of a team atmosphere and not to just do acro 
and it just mixes all those things together and, and provides a, an outlet for people that would normally not get an outlet. So I think it's awesome. Yeah, no. Well, I appreciate your time. Um, do you have anything that you want to kind of leave the viewers and listeners kind of, uh, you know, about you, about FlipFest, anything like that? Um, and I'll also plug in FlipFest um, information and stuff like that, like their dates yeah. and stuff stuff like that in the description but is there anything you want to leave the viewers i'll leave the viewers with the same thing i leave the campers with at flip fest every year uh, i leave them with three things and and the first thing is how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time i think it's important in life to remember that success takes little steps it takes little steps over and over and over to to get to that final destination um, we as humans are, 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 are very impatient sometimes. And I have to remind myself that on the daily when I'm trying to do things. Um, the next thing is, is um, love many, trust few, and always paddle your own canoe. Um, I think too many people in this world are not taking personal responsibility and admitting when they're wrong and understanding that you're going to be wrong and it's okay to admit it. And that's part of life. And just taking responsibility and saying that was my that was my bad. I can do better. Um, so I really stress to, to to people that you know, love many, trust few. Always paddle your own canoe. It's your canoe. Nobody else's. You get in there and you direct it and you paddle it and and don't look for blame on anybody else. And then the last one is you can't change your circumstances, but you can change how you react to them. Um, I tell our campers all the time that when something bad happens. You're, you know, you can get, you might get upset, you might be off for a little bit, but as soon as you can get your mind to switch to how can this, how can I turn this into a positive and how can I benefit from this and what can I learn from this and how can I be stronger from this? As soon as you get your mind in that, it, the faster you get your mind to that side of things, I think is the, is the key to, to just getting through life and continue to learn and getting better. Yeah, no, I, that's good. Well, I appreciate your time and I appreciate those three insights and, um, you know, hope the best for you as you kind of get um, this break right now from the camp. And as you guys kind of ramp back up, you know, in the yeah. late, late winter or early spring, it depends on where you're at, right? Um, in March. And so I, I appreciate your time. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of Heated Conversations. It was a great conversation talking to um, John McCready. And, you know, those two things that he mentioned, um, that we all want to be accepted and we all want to be entertained, which, you know, especially that second part is so true and is not a way I thought of it. Um, and, you know, being intentional about, you know, those types of things that you're doing, the people that you're uh, allowing yourself to kind of be accepted by, and also, you know, what you're presenting and what you're being entertained by. Um, remember to share, to subscribe, to like, and comment. Thank you again for tuning to another episode of Heated Conversations. I'll see you guys on the next one.